0: This is a kick in the grass with Dan Riccio and Jeff Flair on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: What a weekend, some massive matches around Europe as the Premier League table continues uh, to surprise with uh, a lot of congestion at the top of the table. Italy may have a new champion, but also uh, some stories a little bit closer to home. Canada in their first camp of 2021 trying to get things on track for world cup qualifying and even a gold cup and also toronto fc has their new manager today we'll be talking with john herdman canadian soccer's men's senior team national manager and chris armis toronto fc manager here on a kick in the grass dan Riccio and jeff blair jeff it's uh we're going to talk to john here in in a minute but um this year for canadian soccer for the men's national team um, it's huge. Like I, I don't think it can be understated uh, because of the chance at World Cup qualification. You need to capitalize on the momentum and the belief that has been started around guys like Alfonso Davies and and Jonathan David.
0: Yeah, you know it's not just the World Cup qualifying either, Danny. When you look at the the Gold Cup is is happening, of course, and also Olympic qualifying. I mean the the Olympic. It, the yeah. soccer calendar was was going to be confusing this year uh, regardless and was going to require a lot of creativity regardless but toss in olympic qualifying as well and you know it's no wonder that w- we see a lot of new names in this canadian camp. there's an awful lot of young players that john herdman needs to get a look at and You know, essentially, I mean, I wouldn't say he needs to come up with three different teams, but when you factor in injuries, somebody's going to get hurt. You factor in club availability and COVID protocols. It's not just simply a matter of saying we're coming up with one Canadian men's team here. It's almost like two and a half or three different teams you have to look at yeah, the depth is is really going to be tested.
1: Uh, so without further ado, let's welcome in uh, the manager of the men's national team. It is John Herdman here on a kick in the grass across the Sportsnet radio network. Thanks for this, John. How are you?
2: Well, I'm very good, Don and nice to be back.
1: yeah it's good to have you on again. it's uh it's it's certainly been an interesting year how How's it been getting the getting the band together there in Florida?
2: Well, it's it was challenging. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. It's it, it's not been easy bringing bringing people together in this this time, and I think certainly with everything spiking over the Christmas period, it's uh, we had some shaky moments. But you know, Canada soccer, the the staff here, and to be fair, the players have have been outstanding. They've they've committed. They've put themselves at a bit of risk traveling into the U.S. and but we're here. I'm just watching them now. They're on the grass. They're, you know, they're in recovery at the minute, and it feels like this year we we might be able to step forward. John, what are you looking
0: for in this camp?
2: Well, I think there's a there's a number of things. It's 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 one of the first times in in my tenure that we've actually had a camp where there hasn't been a a critical match that linked to Gold Cup qualification, World Cup qualification. It just gives us a chance to actually try some new things, assess some new people. But more importantly, I think, get ready for the COVID reality that stands in front of us in 2021. It's it's going to be a hell of a year um, in a good way. But, you know, we really need to understand what we're getting into, the protocols, the way you have to adjust training. And even... Even just as a staff, you know, building that resilience because it has, it's been difficult. There's a lot of things you don't expect. Now you've got a lot of medical and safety protocols that are in place. So just a great learning experience coming out of this. Hopefully we've taken a step forward.
1: How's how's it been for you planning, you know, um, w- without having any games? And, and now you do have uh, some of the squad together. But, you know, w- what's gone into the planning for you and trying to get ready for what's going to be an incredibly busy 2021?
2: Yeah, well, it, one thing we've become is uh, remote remote development experts and, and outstanding <laughs> planners, because I'll tell you now, since March it was two weeks we were about to play Trinidad in in Victoria and you know we, we get that cancellation and then every window, the June, the September, the October, and November, we've been planning. We've had the opponents ready, we've had the squad ready, and then we're waiting to see if, if the COVID reality would allow us to, to do it safely enough. And and we couldn't. So you know, this year we we said, look, 2021. I know it's a difficult time, and and you know we did take some risks coming into this environment, but we had to. Uh, we had to get ready because if March happens and it's World Cup qualification, like everything's on the line, and we we can't afford to go in undercooked and inexperienced um, and losing time and efficiency because our protocols weren't right. So. Hopefully coming out of this, we we can let those players know that we've got a good way of managing to keep them safe and we we can be efficient to get one ahead of our opponents. So, yeah, it was a big... Look, I'll tell you now, emotionally, it was a big step coming in here. You know, on one end, you've got all that passion and, and desire to be back with like-minded people, but on the other, you're recognising you're putting people at risk and, you know, with that, that's... A, that's a huge responsibility.
0: John, you mentioned that today uh, is a recovery day. You did have uh, an inter-squad match just for our listeners, because obviously things, things are different in every sports now because of COVID-19 has, has COVID-19 changed recovery day for you logistically for you and your staff and the players?
2: I think everything's changed. It It's all changed. Um, you know, the, the, the distancing is, it's weird, it, it takes away that, that, that human connection, you know, the the high fives, the the the, the proximity, which, which breeds that mental closeness, we all know that, like the physical closeness breeds a mental closeness, and it's, you do feel like there's a distancing here that it gets in the way, but, you know, once we're on the grass, it it's back to, it just feels it's back to normal processes. Um, and a recovery day, I'm just watching them now, they're on the grass, they're two meters apart, they've got the masks on and they're getting on with business, so it, it's a new normal for us. Um, and we just hope that in the, in the next six months we can get back to some, the way it was. Uh, that's That's what we're all praying for, I think.
1: You've uh, you've got some new players around uh, for this camp. Of course, uh, the headliner is uh, one of the stars for Toronto FC this past season, in Io Akinola, and he's he's got a bit of a decision to make himself, and he's he's testing out the waters in different spots. But uh, what's your early impressions of of Io
2: Akinola? Well, the early impressions weren't great because uh, Io never made it into camp. Um, he was uh, withdrawn from the squad a day before for medical reasons, so he wasn't released. And it's a real shame because the build-up with Io, it was a it was an interesting journey. You know, we've been talking since July, and we we had spoke about this opportunity in January that he could come in and feel the Canadian shirt, our culture, our tactical framework, without compromising himself. And and being in the January camp would mean he wouldn't have to play in the nationals, which means as soon as he plays in the international, he's got to change his association. So we were able to create something here that was a chance for people like Io and Marcelo Flores to, to experience the what we're about. But, you know, it wasn't to be. Um, he was gutted and that was the bit sweet, I guess, when, when he called us. Um, he was genuinely gutted um, and, and that was the sweet bit that he actually felt something quite heavy um, that he couldn't come into camp and, but the better piece is, I don't know when our next chance is. The next chance of seeing Ayor this year is is challenging. Um, he has got big decisions to make, whether he he pulls on our shirt or or the US one. And all I can say is, after the US camp, he was still committed to to be here with us in January. And we wish him well with his recovery. John, in
0: addition to World Cup qualifying, you've also got Gold Cup, um, Olympic Games. This is really I mean I'll not to put too much of a spin on it here, but it seems to me that this is a big, big year for this program, isn't it?
2: Absolutely uh, in in speaking with the players that it's being able to frame that up to help them understand the impact they can have on their own careers, but more importantly on a country in twenty twenty one and twenty twenty one they they could go and try and win a gold cup. They could qualify for an Olympics. they can qualify for that last stage of World Cup qualification, the Octagon. And if everything goes to plan by the end of it, we may have connected this country for the first time in a long time, coast to coast behind football. and And I know you know we felt a little bit of that in October. Um, you really got that sense of you know people looked up when we we were able to beat the US and you know a lot of big games are going to come this year so as players i keep saying to them like you are some of the luckiest players on the planet to get these types of opportunities now you know will you will you take them will you actually do everything you need to do to take these opportunities in as a country I think that's that's the gift we've got so many football opportunities and and the the curse is we have to take them to really change this country. We have to take them
1: it's It's a lot of opportunity with with all the games coming as well and and the gold cup of course i mean um i I guess your squad list is is growing and and you're gonna have a larger pool to choose from or just out of out of necessity at times.
2: Yeah, you're right. It's it, it's a congested schedule. A lot of things were left on the table in 2020 that have been put on them this year. So I want you to picture a June period. In June, typically we go to a Gold Cup, but in June we've got World Cup qualification. Four matches in a 14-day period where there's travel to Aruba, back to Canada, into um, uh, to play Suriname and then potentially... You know, you're going off to play um, Haiti in a qualification or St. Lucia or Guatemala. We don't know where we'll head. So, and there'll be prep games for that. So, I think for the players, typically in June, that would be their window. But two weeks later, they've got a Gold Cup. And at the same time, they have an Olympic Games in the same window as the Gold Cup. While many of them will be asked to come back for pre-season to get ready for an August 3rd or an August 10th start of their season and for many of these players they've already had a compressed congested uh, season due to the covid reality so you're absolutely right the, the the landscape is is filled with opportunities and and I think that's what it'll be players will um, be able to step in and grab their 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 chance um in this year because it's very unique
0: john i always like asking coaches this when you've got a young player in camp uh, maybe a player you haven't seen before other than in video or you know someone that hasn't that hasn't played a match for you before what does that player have to do to make an initially favorable impression on you
2: well the, the, there's two layers to it number one there's a character element and then there's a competence piece. And right from the start, we're, we're evaluating, you know, what has he done prior to coming into camp? What's his, uh, his involvement been with the, the coaching staff? Has he fully committed to all of the, the tactical pre-planning that goes in to the individual preparation? So did he turn up on time for the meetings? How engaged was he in the meetings? What's his personality like? And that's even before he gets to camp. And then when he gets to camp, the first immersion meeting, you know, you're, you're really testing. You're testing to see, has he done the work? And and from that moment, you get a sense of, of the character or you get a sense of the personality. And now you might need to work with them, you know, where they're starting from in their journey with with this national team. And then, in simple terms, you you give them the you know you give them that blank canvas. I think everyone's first camp, they're given that that, that opportunity to express themselves and bring you know their identity, their their personality to the camp. And I think we we as much as we can, we offer a lot of guide ropes to support them. But you know, every training session, a young Shaquille Marshall, Ruddy, you know, he's 16 year old here. Um, we're just encouraging them, uh, and we know how humans respond in positive environments, and when they're encouraged and they feel safe. So, you know, that's that. All I'm looking for is that this person's character is above that line that we set, and then he can show those flashes in his position um, that he can live our tactical framework, but also bring his identity to influence our team in a positive way. So. It's a it's a process. Uh, the first camp, you hope, and he scores a hat trick in his first game, but you don't see that too often. Yeah.
1: has Has there been uh has there been any other standouts at
2: camp? Well, I think the standouts have have been every player in their in their mentality towards this this new reality. Um, their their mentality has just been first class. They they're getting on with things where, you can imagine, we've been in a hotel here for. Seven days where we're not allowed outside of the the perimeter of a hotel. Um, you know, players for the first two days were isolated in their room. They wouldn't weren't allowed out of their rooms. So I have to say the whole group have just really impressed us. They, they've maintained a positive spirit here. But you know, the, to, to note um, you know the work ethic of uh, young Jacob Schaffelberg last night. He he really caught the eye. Um, and then again, you, you've got players like uh, Alistair Johnson, who's had a strong MLS season, was able to come through last night and put a strong performance in and showing, you know, why he was a standout, I felt, in, in that league from a defensive perspective. So it's, it's early days. I mean, last night there was so much emotion and passion around that game. Um, the players just never give each other an inch. And I thought that was uh, great to see as well.
0: John, I'm wondering because there are a lot of players who are still playing club soccer in Europe or uh, you know around the world. How how do you go about kind of ensuring that this group, which has to do what they have to do to get ready, is you know, maintain some sort of contact with Alfonso or or Jonathan David or is that? You know, is that something at this point while those guys are playing for their club team, you, you kind of leave them alone and, and you focus on this particular group?
2: Well, I think I think everyone knows what Fonzi's doing. He's on TikTok and Instagram. He's uh, he's <laughs> you don't miss much, but uh, no, we, we, we stay in touch. We have positional and unit coaches that have a responsibility to stay connected to their people. Um, as a head coach, I uh, bring the group together for town halls regularly just to do the general state of the union and, and to connect in. So, you know, while while we're here, yeah, there's an intense focus on this group, but there are well wishes, you know, coming back from the boys in Europe, they're keeping an eye on things and, you know, after pretty much every game, a player uh, will get a connect in just to just uh, whether it's a WhatsApp or a call, just uh, to let them know where, where where we care, and and I think that's all you can do with this group.
0: John, uh, I got to ask you a question. I've had a couple people ask me about Kyle Lauren, who's having a uh, a really good run of form form <laughs> right now in Turkey. Um, you know, we've talked about the the talent that when everybody's together, the talent you will have available to you. I'm just wondering what your view of his season is because I think a lot of people, for some reason, people look at him and think he's like 32 years old and he's been around forever. He's, yeah. what, 25 and he's just a couple of years ago rookie of the year. But he really looks like he has rediscovered something maybe in, in Turkey.
2: Yeah, he, I think he has. He had a he had a good start at uh, Zolt Wagram when he was uh, in Belgium. That was his loan club. But when you when you speak to to Kyle, like he's he's a dad now. He's um, you know he had twins. His his partner's moved out to Turkey. He's he's starting to to just get a bit more settled. I mean, I say this all the time. What happens off the pitch influences on the pitch. When when things aren't quite right off the pitch and you you're dealing with new realities, new pressures. It transfers, and I just feel like Kyle's in a in a really good space. He had his family moved out. Um, he seems to be settling there, I know but you know looks looks over his shoulder. but when you when you speak to him, the pressure in that club is is immense. if If Kyle doesn't score, he's out of the team, and he knows that and and he's had to deal with that. The first season, you know whether it's the fans or the coach, the the competition in those clubs is is strong and when you're at a club at Besiktas you're expected to win every game and when you're the number nine you're expected to score every game so in speaking to him you you understand that he's had to adapt to that level of pressure and and become more comfortable being uncomfortable and I think he has adapted and then the last piece is they've shifted him tactically he's he's playing in a more loose position uh, where he's allowed to operate you know not in that number nine position where he's targeted by two centre backs, and I think he's he's able to find those pockets of space from from wide areas and appear in the box um, unnoticed. So yeah, he's really taking advantage of what opportunities have been pre- presented, both tactically and 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 the fact I think he's got stability.
1: Uh, John, before we let you go, um, Scott Arfield, uh, it seemed as though there was a bit of a hint. That uh, he he may be uh, looking beyond his international future. Um, is there anything any anything there for you to update us on? Uh, what's h- how are you feeling about your captain right now, Scott Arfield?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's an ongoing conversation with Scott. He um, you know in in his experiences now, he knows he's getting late in his career. He's got a very young family, so it's it's about the right moments, I think, for Scott. It's. You know, certainly this year, he's got one focus, and that's to to win the, the the title with Rangers. He feels deeply committed to achieving that for the fans, and and he knows he he, he can't be getting pulled into international activity um, uh, too too frequently. He, the impact it had on him the previous season uh, when we were pushing for the Nations League, he. Um, it's tough. It is tough. He's, his body is starting to ask him ask him some, some critical questions. So, yeah, I think there's uh, there's definitely some issues he's got behind the scenes in terms of his commitments. And, and from my side, I'll always respect him. But I think when the big games come, um, I think Scott will, will be available. It's just about let him get this title under his belt. And then we'll, we'll start having those you know deeper conversations about the the octagon hopefully.
1: John we're uh, we're excited for the year ahead it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh thanks for this today.
2: That's brilliant guys and and thanks for giving us the time. Thanks John. Thank you.
1: There is John Herdman. So uh yes uh, still a lot of cloudiness in the future of of Scott Arfield with the Canadian men's national team. Uh Jeff if Scott Arfield isn't playing mm. who is the
0: Canadian men's national team captain. Well, I mean I, I you know, I I don't I can't get inside John Herdman's head if Alfonso Davies would be the, would be the logical <laughs> would be the logical choice. He is the the best player the, the country's ever produced. In, depending on his availability, I would think you would probably look at Atiba Hutchinson. And, you know, maybe somebody who's who who is, you know, a stalwart uh, of this program. And what I mean by that is somebody who is maybe not the most gifted player or maybe not the the biggest name player in the team, but somebody who always answers the bell. Right. So maybe a guy like Samuel Piet or perhaps Daniel Henry. But, you know, look, to me, you have to have that conversation with Fonzie first and then it's Atiba, and then you pivot off that.
1: With all the different players that are going to play for Canada this year, that might be a, an interesting thing. Be good for trivia questions in the future. We'll have to we'll have to keep an eye on it. Uh, it is Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair. A kick in the grass coming up next. He's the new manager of Toronto FC, Chris Armas. That's next on a kick in the grass. Back in on a kick in the grass, and uh, it's been the long search through the winter months, but TFC have finally landed. On their new manager, and it is Chris Armis. And he joins us here now on a kick in the grass.
3: Thanks for this, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great. Dan, Jeff, thanks a lot for having me. I'm thrilled to be part of uh, TFC and, and to join uh, the Toronto community. So thanks for having me.
1: How much do you know about Toronto to this point in your life?
3: <laughs> yeah, look, I'm a, I'm a New Yorker, uh, not so far away from Toronto, but like, like New York, Toronto, a big city, very diverse, a huge sports town. Um, but I know that Toronto, it's, it's, uh, you know, good people, friendly people, it's a, a safe part of the world, you know, in, in many ways, but yeah, I, I, I know it's enough that it's a very diverse, uh, uh, population and, and yeah, it's, it's a great city. Chris, tell us a little bit about
0: this, this process. Cause you and Ali obviously know each other from your time together in New York, but did Ali reach out to you very early in this whole process?
3: Yes, he um, showed interest early on in the process, just from a timing standpoint. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that only because I knew when the announcement from Greg Vanny leaving happened. So, yeah, it was fairly early. But Ali also knew that I was in a negotiation with D.C. United, that I was a candidate for that job and that I got offered the job uh, in D.C. So he understood that. And when we initially talked uh, – I think he was mindful and just um, almost like considered of the fact that uh, that I wasn't going to get caught in two different worlds at the moment. So as soon as one didn't become was no longer an option, then things moved very quickly in terms of just the process, get getting it in front of him and Bill Manning and and so forth.
1: How big of a part of the the conversation was it for you that, you know, there's uh, that relationship already there and, Probably an idea that, that you're going to be on the same page from the start
3: here. Well, I think, I think it's always a, a starting point that when you know you're not starting from zero in terms of what that person is about from an ideal standpoint, from a character standpoint, from a way of working standpoint. Uh, so I think that gives a nice head start on the process, but for me coming into it, I uh, when Ali Curtis was in New York, he saw me as an assistant coach. So he saw a certain aspect of me and he knew I fit in in so many ways of, of how to uh, just from a character standpoint. But so when I interviewed with him, it was trying to show a much different side of who I am. So it, it's not that Chris is a, a nice guy that can work with people, it's collaborative and it was much more to show him let's call it three or four years later, how I can be the leader that's from a, let's call it style of play standpoint, that I can bring something interesting to Toronto, that I have my own ideas of the game. Um, I was very strategic with that. And, and he, I believe, wanted to see that part of me. That's so, that was where he, I think, uh, I opened up his his eyes to to that part um, of who I am and what I can offer. Chris, what do you
0: see when you look at Toronto FC?
3: Yeah. I think about uh, a roster that, it, that it's experienced. I think about a winning culture. I think about standards from the top down. I see some interesting young players coming through the, the days of true leaders. It's not so easy to find those, but I see with Michael Bradley and others that there's some good leadership in the team. Um, so that's a starting point. I also see a style of play that they they can control games and and very possession based and um, yeah and then of course it's a a culture of uh, of winning again I say that again. So what I also see the team as a coach and, and someone that's always thinking about the details. Um, I see a room. I see a room to grow. I see uh, a style of play that in possession uh, that I think we can bring an intensity to what we do and. Uh, uh, a little bit more in, in, for simpler terms that I want to see us attack more. I want, I think a roster is, is so much is built in place there and a really good foundation, but I see an ability to, when we have the ball that we can attack more deliberately. And when we don't have the ball that we can attack the opposition with the intensity.
1: Do you feel you you have the players you need to, to play the style you'd like?
3: Yeah, I do. I think that, um, the style that I'd like, right? It's really so much more than a physical thing. It's a mentality of what you think the game should look like. And that in that even if the coaching staff was playing in a friendly staff game, that there's certain demands that should show up in that game. And that's a starting point of how I see the game. That playing on the front foot is... Yeah, it's, it's not often about speed or, or... It's more a mentality. So... I know that the strikers on that team that they all can run. So getting them to run a little more when we don't have the ball is possible. So it's a mentality. I know that they have midfielders that all over the place that are smart and they cover ground. So can we use those energies to play more vertical and to to make to, to take time and space away from opposition? So yes, it's to answer your question, we have the players. We're always going to look to add some depth to some spots and some I do think a a few more players to the roster that are more dynamic and uh, can can improve our team speed. Chris, when I think of Red Bulls,
0: I I think certainly under Jesse and to a certain degree under you as well, I think of the the sort of a a team that liked to high press. I mean, you talked about wanting to play with energy, but it seems like as your coaching career went on, you sort of made some tweaks, right? It's not fair to simply say that your style is to high press anymore, is it? There's, an awareness of the the importance of the transition game. Um, and and I guess one of the things, you know, when teams high press, other teams notice it and they try to figure out ways to attack that. Right. So you, you've got to be a little flexible there.
3: Yeah. Look, ideally if we separate the field into thirds, the attacking third, the middle third and the defensive third, um, if you're in that attacking third and you're playing against the ball, we will call that a high press. So ideally, I'd like to high press. In my tenure as the head coach of the New York Red Bulls, we won more balls in that part of the field than Jesse did in his tenure. So I I try to throw these statistics out there because it removes narrative and it removes what has been said. Mm -hmm. So in the middle third, I had to really improve because – meaning – to win more balls in that part of the field, which in my tenure, again, this is statistics, we won more balls than any other team in the league and than Jesse's time in charge. So there was a certain narrative that we weren't high pressing as much because in my tenure, we faced the most amount of long balls. So imagine you're trying to high press, but teams are just bypassing your high press. So what do you do? Well, you, you keep banging your head against the wall by high pressing well if you high press either you're leaving space between the lines right because the backs then have to come up with you or you're leaving space behind so as teams understand the red bulls are going to high press let's just attack the space behind them which uh yeah it becomes dangerous if we can't deal with that or you get you evolve and you say okay let's be more compact and get and although we want to high press and win the ball high up the pitch and, de- and counter press and defend high and maybe defend the midline, not the end line. Uh, yeah, we have to get really good at defending in a mid block, which we did. And we started making play predictable from a mid block and set up more transition moments. So ideally, I'll be very clear. I want to I want to win the ball high up the pitch. I want to play up the field and not let opposition build attacks freely. Um, but in that, it's going to be oftentimes where you have, to, you have to come a bit deeper based on strategy and based on what opposition are doing because you can't always control. As much as you want to control what the other team does, they are in control when they have the ball in, in some ways as much as we want to try to limit where they go.
1: We know you, you'll be on the lookout uh, with Ali uh, for a new designated player. you have an idea of what the, the profile of that player might be?
3: Yeah, I believe that uh, I, you know, and I've come into the process where they, they are in some discussions with some additions and DPS, and um, I think it's a loaded question when you think about it, at a, at a DP. We want to add an, a, a dynamic attacker. Um, so when you think about a, a, a dynamic attacker, first and foremost, we want a, a player that can score goals can you get a player that's good for 15 or 20 goals a year the, the best teams have guys like this so um i think also it's uh, some qualities built into that same player that uh runs for the team you know you have guys that sometimes run for themselves and, and some that, that run for the team so a guy that that understands that part of it and has good reactions when we don't have the ball um and then always uh, with TFC players, it's it's going to be that that profile has to be uh, a worker. You know, we are built on hard work. There's no substitute. No one can tell me that. And then, of good character. You know, of so- someone that understands that it, you know team comes first, and that uh, you know. Individual success is, is great. And, of course, the individual is understanding your place within a team. But um, the team success is the most important thing. So uh, tacking piece, dynamic, can score goals, naturally can do lots of little things in, in addition, hold up play, things like that. But, uh, you know, also understands the, the defensive side of things. And that is also a team guy.
0: Chris, you've seen this league MLS develop at a lot of levels. How different is it now? from when you played, you started to play and are, you know, have the principles in your mind, the principles that go into putting a winning team on the field changed as the league has changed, or are they still pretty much the same as they've always been?
3: That's a good question. I mean, I I think people who understand 1996 to 2001 now coming, we understand there's major changes, right? I think the big, big thing is the ownership groups. There's, there's teams that have owners, and that there's, they say bricks and mortar. There's stadiums, so the league is here to stay. So then there's big investments. There's owners, and then there's stadiums being built. So uh, where we were once renting stadiums and leasing stadiums, you know, stadiums are being built. That means a lot. So it gets you. This is sustainable, I think. Which then brings the TV contracts and sponsorships and, and that whole thing. So that's one big difference. The league has grown in terms of the amount of teams. The each team the rosters are bigger. Um I would say that the nowadays one big difference is the type of DPs that are in the league. Years ago it was just some of the older players with big names that were, you know, really important at the time, but now you're getting the the younger stars to to join the league. And when you see a David Beckham come or they're coming to play, they're coming and they can still play to even towards the end of their careers, the Robbie Keens. And, and those are those, the guys that come that, that don't understand that mentality. They will not survive in this league. They won't be able to do the same things. Um, but yeah, you see that the DPs are getting younger for sure. And, um, you know, in the prime of their career, uh, still seeing our league as a as a good league and a, maybe a, a step to get to maybe Europe. And uh, there's there's uh, I think the overall quality of players. There's more better players in the league now, and they're certainly younger too. You didn't see the the Tyler Adams, Alfonso Davies, the the is coming through, the Jaden Nelsons. There's top young players uh, where back in the day you saw a Demarcus Beasley uh you saw you know the Landon Donovan's the 17 18 you're seeing some of the kids coming in even younger but there's more of them i think that the t- the coaching has gotten better there's more game planning there's more strategies there's more tactics there's principles there's there's um that there's an evolution that way um so the, I think there's lots of, of, of changes. And I, I also would say that there's the knowledge of the supporter, the average supporter. Nowadays, you see what – what it, look at Toronto's fan base. And listen, I was on the field. We played one of the first games over there. They're throwing streamers at – we're taking corner kicks and they're throwing things <laughs> at us. It was always electric. We won, we won. It was with Chicago at the time. We, we happened to win that day. But, man, what energy they had from the very beginning on field turf, I remember. But, um, you know, not, that wasn't the norm. You know, that was very different. Even I think when we came that was 2007, I believe, but, um, and was, which was my last year, but not every, not every soccer stadium was like that. Right. So you got to see that's improved where stadiums are full and there's knowledge the, the Toronto fan base, they're knowledgeable, they're passionate. They connect with the players, there's songs, there's culture, that has evolved big time, so um, and then the, the last piece is when, when listen guys I mean the things that win and lose your games in sport for me that hasn't changed over time you know it really hasn't um, and I don't think we can get too far away and too bogged down with some of the if you get too technical and and you start talking too much about principles and it feels like a textbook, there still has to be a passion and an energy and a togetherness and a work ethic and a belief and mentality. Of course, now you take that and you add now principles and ideas of of, of what we do when we have the ball and clarity when we don't have the ball and nuances and details of set pieces. Um, And of course, a coaching staff preparing a team with game plans that are, you know, complex enough, yet simple enough to that they actually work. So you have all this stuff and nutrition and analytics and all these things that go into it, sports performance. And now it's, yeah, it's all that stuff in and in in where the margins are thin, uh, yeah, wins and losses come. But I'm very logical this way that, you know, putting out a team that is disciplined that understands the the behaviors that win you games and then more importantly, what loses you games, lack of discipline, bad fouls around the box, laziness or inside the 18 yard box, not understanding your set piece assignments. That will just loses you games. And uh, yeah, that this not has not changed from 1996 prior to 1946 of what, what uh, leads to success.
1: We're excited for you to get started, Chris, really appreciate your time today and uh, we'll talk again soon. You got it, guys. Thank you very much. Going to be an interesting couple of months for TFC as they get ready for the next MLS season. We thank Chris for his time here on the show. Coming up, injury time. Lots to get to. Wayne Rooney retiring. Big matches across Europe. It's next. Dan Riccio, Jeff Blair, a kick in the grass. It is the final segment here on a kick in the grass, a uh, double game week for fantasy as uh, we've got uh, our our top of the table leader, Extremadura, already with 70 points. I've seen a couple others even topping that. Uh, Jeff, you're you're doing well so far. You got John Stones in the team. So (laughs) the magic man. I mean who knew what a signing that would be for you but it's uh, it's turned out well to this point again if you want to join our uh, Premier League fantasy it is uh, premierleague.com hit the fantasy tab and use the code PPIBD6 uh the top scorer every week will get a shout out here on a kick in the grass uh, so let's get into that uh, quickly uh Liverpool and Manchester United huge game uh historic rivals and uh for the third time in their last eight meetings it ends in a goalless draw
0: all you need to know about this all you need to know about this match is, is if you're thinking of who each team's man of the match was you'd probably go with you'd probably go with fabinho and luke shaw that's all you need to know <laughs> that is all All kidding aside i mean i thought you know allison becker uh, saved liverpool uh on a couple yeah. of occasions he's I don't think you could say he's underrated, but I, I saw when the, when the match was over that on the, uh, you know, the Premier League panel, they, there was unanimous agreement that right now he might be the best keeper in the world. Um, listen, I, I just think we underplay how important he is to that team, especially on, you know, especially now that they're, they're not scoring. I just think they've hit a wall, and it's interesting seeing them and seeing Bayern Munich both in really difficult patches right now. And I really think, I really believe we're starting to see everything catch up to them. Everything of the past year, all the matches, all the interruptions. I think we're starting to see that catch up to these two really good these two really good clubs.
1: Yeah, we, well, we talked about it over the summer in the transfer window and Liverpool not doing a whole lot. They end up getting Thiago... Uh, but it's it's kind of come back to bite them a little bit because you can tell the fatigue. I mean, Mo Salah looks like he's allergic to the ball. I mean, uh, the, the, the bad touches that he was having consistently uh, uh, through the whole Liverpool front line. You know, Manchester United was there to be had, especially in the first half, but Liverpool just couldn't connect anything in the final third, and it's so unlike them. And that's now three straight matches without a goal. It's been like 16 years since the last time that's happened. Um, they, they just, uh, you know, they're, they're not out of it, obviously, a point is still fine for them here but they definitely need to find their scoring boots and maybe they'll do that uh, midweek uh, with an easier matchup coming along we do have a question from jason in arm prior ontario and he wants to know jeff uh, if
0: luke shaw is playing his way back into the three lions squad oh. ever since manchester united went out and and, and brought in alex talish it, it's like luke shaw has suddenly I I don't I don't know if the light bulb's gone on I don't know if it's this is you know primed the pump for him he looks a better player than he has at any point in his Manchester United career that's an area of concern for England there's a ton of right backs in that 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 country's producing left back Mm -hmm. is not an area of depth right now so look this weekend I thought Luke Shaw and John Stones both had tremendous weekends and they've both probably played themselves into a position where at least Gareth Southgate has to, they they have to be on his radar now. You know, people forget how far John stones has fallen. And this is a guy at one point that was going to start for England. So I, I think both of those guys, you can, you can, you can say that they've played themselves, uh, that they've played themselves back into contention here for sure.
1: Well, yeah, I mean right now they've got Ben Chilwell as left back, but other than that uh you know they didn't have an, another natural left back in their last squad. So that's that's got to be a bit of a concern and it's a good thing for Luke Shaw that he's he's playing this well. Um, and certainly you know I I think he he lacks a little bit of offensive flair at, at times, but he's certainly done the job well enough for Manchester United as they've Gone on a pretty good run of form here and are obviously top of the table. Manchester City, they were 4 0 winners. John Stone scored a couple of goals uh, with a game in hand. They uh, do have the opportunity to go top now that they've won five consecutive matches. We have Sam on Twitter asking if Timo Werner is a bust as uh, Chelsea scaped uh, or they barely got by 10 man Fulham over the weekend. But uh, the the story is with Werner because this guy has completely forgotten how to score goals, Jeff.
0: Well, I, I think what we're seeing here too—it's not just in Timo Werner, but I think he has a manager who has absolutely no clue how to use him. Uh, yeah. he, you know, one of the things I think Chelsea needs to do in this winter winter— one of the things <laughs> Chelsea needs to do in this window, I think. Is break that logjam up a bit? They've got they've got too many options, and Frank Lampard he hasn't figured out what the hell to do with Callum Hudson Odoi. Uh, you know he's he's I don't know what he's going to do with Kai Havertz, and he doesn't know what he has in in Timo Werner. So th- this to me, you know, I I I've been in the camp of not getting not getting too carried away with the let's dump Frank Lampard. But he has to show me that he knows how to manage a team with this type of talent in order to hang on to that job. And I really do think the clock is ticking for him.
1: I I would hate to see them give up on Werner and, you know, he ends up being like a De Bruyne or Lukaku or even Mo Salah. Remember, all those guys played for Chelsea, mm-hmm. uh, but found their footing elsewhere and uh, now, you know, terrorize Chelsea a little bit. Um, and I think Werner... In the summer, I, I hinted that you know this could be a thing where he gets off slowly. He did it uh, with his first games at Red Bull Leipzig, uh, even his first go-around in the 2018 World Cup with Germany. Everybody was talking about him. He's going to be great. He's going to be great. It didn't really work out for him. So sometimes some players just take some time to hit the ground running. Not everybody's going to be Bruno Fernandes. Um, all right. Uh, next week, we're going to start a new segment. Uh, and... It's you don't know what you're doing or you're not fit to wear the shirt. Uh, and just to give you an example, uh, Aaron Ramsey and Adrian Rabiot, you're not fit to wear Juventus shirts, okay? If, if you're not making a forward pass, then get off my team. Uh, that's kind of how I feel about them after the loss to Inter this weekend. But uh, that's just a bit of an example for the kick in the grass listeners to go off for next week.
0: Yeah, or Steve Bruce. You don't know what you're <laughs> – we, we can just rename it the Steve Bruce Award. Let's let's play let's play let's play what is basically a 5-4-1 against Sheffield United. Don't want to give them too many I mean, good lord. Good yeah, lord. All,
1: all those nine goals they scored this oh. year. Really, uh, really scary uh
0: to 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 go up with an offensive mindset. By the way, do you know interesting stat? Andy Carroll scored more goals than Liverpool since the new year. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a lot of fun uh
1: really appreciate you listening as always subscribe leave a review on the podcast we do appreciate it. it goes a long way to helping us out and growing the show at sn jeff blair is where you can follow him i am at dan riccio underscore and producer derek brandeo uh, we appreciate you listening on a kick in the grass